Hello and welcome to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. I'm Andrew Gracie and in this series we talk to fascinating doctors about all the interesting things they're doing in alongside their medical careers as they forge their own creative paths. We're now up to episode 10 of this series. I'm very excited to be into double figures. Um, it's another. This one is another of the interviews that we did up on the Gold Coast on the sidelines of the CCAM 2019 event. Um, so anyone who was up there um, would have seen or, or might know a little bit already about the background and talents of our guest on this episode, Dr. Viom Sharma. He was, of course, emceeing the conference, keeping everyone pretty entertained along the way and also in, uh, presented his own session on top of all these other responsibilities that he had over the weekend. Um, for those who are not familiar though, um, as well as being a practicing GP, Viom has carved out a career as a magician and mentalist. Um, he's performed on live on stage at the Sydney Opera House, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, uh, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. He was a grand finalist on Australia's Got Talent and along with all of that, he's got a, pa- a real passion for health and science communication. Um, to that end, he's a regular guest lecturer at Monash University's School of Biological Sciences. Uh, he writes op-eds on health issues and hosts a regular health-focused show on the radio station Triple R. In our chat, uh, we covered all of that and more, including how he manages or possibly at times fails to manage all of those responsibilities, as well as the ethics involved in using his magical and mentalist superpowers for good. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to thank our sponsor uh, for this episode of the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast, the Royal Australasian College of Medical Administrators. RACMA is an accredited specialist medical college compromising medical practitioners with specialist training in management and leadership of health services and systems. To find out how you can go from doctor to medical leader and how RACMA might be able to help you, head over to racma.edu.au. That's R-A-C-M-A dot E-D-U dot A-U. So without any further ado, here is my chat with Dr. Viom Sharma. Dr. Viom Sharma, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be here. So I guess one of my first questions is, uh, are you aware of any other GPs or magician mentalists, that combination out there, either current or past? Because it, it seems like a, a pretty unique triple threat. I know of... At least one other person uh, who's actually he's actually very good. His name is Leonard Green. He's still a practicing magician. I think he's, I forget which country he's from. I think it might be Swedish and he's a GP and he's like a virtuoso kind of card magician. Um, that's it. And if you can imagine the number of magicians that I know of, we're talking thousands of magicians who have come across in my life. Um, that's literally the only other one uh, who I know is a, is a kind of practicing doctor and who does it as a, at a serious professional level, I suppose. And you're also a lecturer at, or a guest lecturer at Monash still. That, that's still ongoing. And, and, and I'm aware that you're um, also on radio. You're doing is a health radio show that you're doing at Triple R, is that right? That's right, yes. Yeah. So it's a weekly show that I do, I kind of come and do once a month, uh, called Radiotherapy on Triple R Radio in Melbourne. And it's a show about health and maybe more so health care, uh, really, that I've been doing for almost a couple of years now, at least 18 months. So all of these roles, I guess what I'm, I'm driving towards is the idea that, in my head at least, that getting up in front of people on stage or um, you know, for, for your performance stuff or, or broadcasting or lecturing, there's a whole lot of performance element in, in so many of these things. Is that performing part of you? Is that something as in, that came naturally to you? Is that part of you? Was it always there? That's a really good question. And I love the two 
parts of that uh, sentence? Is it a part of you and did it come naturally? And the answer would be, it's a part of me, yes, and absolutely did not come naturally whatsoever. Uh, I think you're quite right. That, that is the element that ties in all these things together. It is this, um, uh, this need to kind of speak publicly uh, out loud. And no, that's definitely not a skill uh, that I came naturally to me at all. Generally speaking, I'm pretty unclear speaker. Um, you probably can't tell now, but it's probably because it's uh, it's years muscle memory now. <laughs> exactly, it's easy of, of making mistakes and uh, and hearing yourself back and going, "Geez, even I can't understand what I was saying." Um, but uh, I've never really been a particularly good uh, public speaker or even social speaker, really. Um, medicine, of course, is a especially general practice is an incredibly social pursuit. So that kind of got me into the headspace of what it's like to have a conversation. And I really like listening to people. Um, but then, of course, actually pursuing magic and mentalism on stage uh, kind of teaches you how to speak, I suppose. And then that just kind of morphed into whatever it is I'm doing now, which is uh, you know, a bit of radio lecturing here and there and talks like the ones I'll be giving here on the weekend. So you feel, you, I guess you got the confidence from from a lot of those experiences to, to be able to stand up and do lecturing that kind of thing or is or what was it yeah i mean i suppose we can say i got the confidence i, I think how do i put this best without sounding too deprecating too self-deprecating um yeah after you're kind of humiliated enough on stage i was gonna ask yeah, you about that, yeah yeah all you have left is this gentle low vibe confidence um <laughs> If uh, as when you've bombed on stage many many times, um, you just realise how little there is to lose, and then just comes what appears to be, I guess, anyway, confidence. Whereas yeah. it's just kind of my own uh, comfort with my own failures. I want to focus on that magic for a bit. What, was it something you were fascinated with as a child, or when when did magic come and sort of grab you? I was always fascinated with magic as a child. Um, and in this way, I think I'm a lot more different to a lot of other currently practising magicians, which is the traditional story is that someone gets a magic kit from their uncle or from their grandfather, aged six, seven, eight, and they're just kind of enamoured with magic, and that's when they start. Um, I had seen a bit of magic on TV before as a child, but I'd never actually learned any magic or had any avenue to kind of pursue it. And so my true entry into magic was very late, uh, which is at the age of 17. That's considered very, very late in magic. Right. And uh, so that was the first year of university when a fellow medical student showed me this amazing magic trick and I just kind of lost my shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to find out how the trick was done. So that's where my journey for, of magic began, um, alongside medical school in parallel. So <clears throat> is there a lot of, I guess, there's, did you just go full magic geek at that point? Were you sitting at, in, your, in, your do I don't know, in your dorm or your bedroom at home just like, mastering sleight of hand magic you know, card tricks like hundred percent it was <laughs> genuine obsession um there were points at which i was a little bit fearful about how long i could go without having an intrusive thought into my head about something <laughs> magic related um and it, it was felt like completely kind of out of my control and the only reason i suppose you know the, the way we talk about classifying something as a disorder or not is uh is this causing any social and occupational impairment and i suppose it was not <laughs> It was uh, making me feel good. Yeah. And so I guess I continued it. And it wasn't getting in the way of your study at all? It, look, that's a good question. I, I think probably the, the, the better way to think about it is uh, it probably also came into my life at a point where I was getting a bit, uh, I don't want to say kind of tired of medical studies, but it can be quite a tiresome sure. process. Sure. And so in many ways it was a good relief uh, in that way. 
there were points, however, when I was making slow and steady progress in, in magic. And, and I started to wonder, this is partway through medical school going, well, you know, everyone else, all my other peers, magic are progressing because they don't have to do this full-time study stuff. Um, I wonder if, you know, medicine's kind of holding me back from progressing further in magic. And then you start asking yourself all the other questions. Well, how far do I want to pursue it? Is it worth it? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Um, so there actually was a point, however, I remember after I finished third year of medical school, because uh, that was quite intensive. I was doing you know, it was my first kind of clinical year as well as doing magic where I realised I actually wasn't giving medicine the, the attention that it kind of deserved. And not in terms of study kind of past exams. I think, you know, marks-wise, everything was all quite good. But I was realising that I was kind of... The, the luster was, was kind of fading away from medicine a bit. And uh, so what I actually decided to do was actually for a good eight months, maybe almost a year, actually actively go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this magic thing. I'm not going to stop doing it. Um, but now that I know that I'm, I'm never going to stop doing it and that, I, that it'll never be taken away from me, I can actually kind of prioritise medicine because yeah. the fourth year was kind of the big year for us. Yep. And so medically speaking, in terms of studies, that was a very fruitful year for me um, because I could just kind of thrust myself full force into, into medical studies and really kind of find what I thought was interesting in it. Um, but I also didn't have this anxiety of... Uh, I'm giving up something. Yeah, which is... This is the crux, I think, of a lot of doctors who want to pursue something else alongside medicine or instead of medicine. Uh, this false dichotomy that exists, that uh, it's going to be one or the other. And if I can't do one thing properly, well, then it's not worth doing, so I'll have to pick and choose. Yep. And it's just not true. Um, you can... Yeah, it sounds bad to say, but you can kind of... If, if you've got another interest, you can kind of half-ass it for a while. Um, sometimes things don't get the full attention they so-called deserve, but... You, know, you have you, you, you can make up for it at other points in your life your things aren't kind of running away from you um, so I, mean, I think that's kind of been the running theme of my life you know I often get asked by people how do you manage to balance the two things or the three things or however many things well, it's it looks about like about five I'm counting yeah you, five sure you're a pension threat I think yeah, <laughs> yeah sure oh boy uh, and, um, and the, the honest answer is I don't balance them very well at all I'm always putting too much time into one thing and then not enough into the other thing until I have feelings of uh, regret or inspiration about doing the other thing, and I run to that. Run and, to that uh, plate. Exactly. And, and spinning. Yeah, and when you kind of look at it at the macro level of like what's happened in the last, let's say, three years or five years, it looks wonderfully balanced. Whereas the truth is any six-month segment, any three-month segment is not... If in, you graph at all, it looks a bit chaotic. It's, it's chaos, yeah. yeah. And, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't know what the right balance is. And um, but that's just the way. Is it, it is. something that bothers you? I mean, it seems to be working for you for the moment. But are you interested in sort of sorting that out long term? I am. You... I am. It, it does bother me. It bothers me enormously. <laughs> um, uh, I'm definitely someone who worries a lot about you know what the future holds and what I'm going to do. Uh, the only thing that quells my anxiety, and it is a genuine anxiety I have, is I worry so much about the future. But then I look back. Uh, at the years past, even, you know, like the last year or two years or five years, and it always looks like, oh, it's kind of worked out well so far. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, geez, it's worked out okay so far. It's probably going to be okay it starts to year. give you a bit of a false impression of how well things could go if you don't change. Is that what you mean? Well, I, you know, it, it's more like, <coughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is that I worry so much about how this lack of plan is going to, oh, okay. to, to kind of pay off or not pay off in future. But then I look at, well, I don't exactly have a plan to end up where I have and I'm kind of okay and satisfied with that yeah, yeah. so I guess I can kind of keep going but but I'm definitely someone who worries a lot about 
where is this all going? What's yeah, the yeah, point? Yeah. And I, I, I think part of that is I'm in a very art, an artistic performance arts world. Yeah, I want to get to that a bit later Please. about the creative part of it because and and I'm sort of drilling a little bit on your process as well because there I'm you know when you go and see a magic show, it's very fun and entertaining and, and hopefully amazing, but there's a lot of creativity involved in, in applying and finding different ways to apply techniques and things you've learned. But yes. I guess before we get to that, I, I want to talk a little bit about Gentlemen of Deceit. Yes. So I understand you guys met in a magic store. You'd never done anything... You know, this is was this during the period where you kind of put it on, or coming out of that period? This was it, yeah, on the back, it was actually just burner. after. Oh, well, look, yeah, we'd, we'd met just before the period where I put magic on the back burner. This so is we, your sorry, I, I threw into that. This is your magic trio. Oh, that's yes. right. Yeah, we should <laughs> establish that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so gentlemen of deceit yes. is this a uh, trio group that uh, I perform in or have performed in, depending on you know uh, how you kind of look at it timeline wise. And it's uh, you know, my friends Luke and Alex uh, and I, and we do this kind of comedy magic interactive kind of show. Uh, and we did several shows at the Melbourne Comedy Festival for about five years. And then um, we did we went on to Australia's Got Talent. We were grand finalists there. And uh, we've done several kind of TV spots and theatre shows here and abroad. Uh, and I think in terms of magic, that's the avenue through which I've experienced anything that could be called, I guess, you know, kind of conventional success, I yeah. suppose. Um, so I had met them just kind of when I got into magic and we were friends, but Gentleman Deceit really happened um, as the, the group really kind of was created when I became an intern, really, and we went, okay, we're going to kind of do this, yeah. which you would think is a you know, kind of terrible time. Like, yeah. Everything I hear, I've, ne- I've never been a medical intern myself, but everything I've heard is that there is no such oh, thing as it, spare it, time. <laughs> it was the hardest year of my life. Um, I went from being a you know fairly lazy medical student to being just under the pump in a way that you know anyone who's been an intern will remember um but i'm actually shocked when i look back at all the amount of performing and rehearsal i managed to do in that year like i it, it really kind of stuns me scares me inspires Does it help me that you were young because i mean when it you're does. younger you do have a lot of a lot more energy um, especially I, when it's something that you're really passionate about. I mean, I guess if you're, if you're passionate about the mm. medical side and you're passionate about the magic, it does make it easier because you're doing stuff you want to do rather than you're being forced it, to. Is that that's very true? That's very true. And uh, and and the energy thing. Look, it's it's an interesting thing. On one hand, I think biologically it's kind of true. I was just kind of whining myself uh, to myself as I was kind of coming down for this interview, going, "Geez, it takes me longer to kind of recover these days." I'm not like that <laughs> old. I'm, like, I'm 32 and a half. So, um, but it, but actually, it's the other way around, which is that. There's nothing wrong with me now, but back then there's so much kind of emotional energy because the possibilities seem endless. Mm. And you know, you, you're, there you are, you're 22, and you're, you, you're getting kind of half decent in your, your own eyes. And you're like, well, you know, I could be huge. This could be amazing in five years' time. And the emotional impetus that creates. Uh, is where I think a lot of the energy comes from. It's not really a real, real kind of biological energy. Well, plus, I guess really. you're at an age where you haven't learned a whole lot of lessons as well. You don't know what Correct. you can't do yet. Correct, yeah. You you haven't had... I certainly um, had not had that experience of being, say, you know, very good back then and yet not getting something that I thought I deserved. Yeah. It was very much the other way around, um, which was I was kind of half-decent... Um, and getting, I guess, lucky, I suppose we can say. Um, as in, by lucky, I mean I wasn't having bad luck. And so when everything's kind of going your way and you're getting... Uh, your rate of improvement is amazing. You know, mm. you kind of go, well, geez, I could... This, this will never stop. Yeah. Um, so that just energises you, you know, kind of so much. But, um, but as I've learned over the years, you know, luck is so much part of the game. 
Um, and it really makes you research, you know, how and why it is that you, you do your creative pursuits. It can't all be about the tangible, conventional markers of success because um, then you end up stopping the, the second you get unlucky, as I have been, but I've also been very lucky. We're talking about the unlucky side, maybe. Um, you talked a little bit earlier around some of the, the harder gigs, by the sounds of it, when, when things yeah. don't go right or when things bomb a little bit. What, what were the early gigs like? Was it... Was it a bumpy sort of a start? It's, it was a bumpy start. Uh, I think it's a bumpy start for anyone who's not a natural performer at the start. It's, um, you, you start in the small way. So, for example, the, one of the first gigs any magician will do is what we call like roving and walk around magic. So you get hired to go up to people in parties or whatever right. it is and say, introduce myself and hi, you know, blah, blah, I'm a magician. And people kind of you know, roll their eyes a bit and then you kind of do your thing. So you've got to introduce yourself to people who don't necessarily want to know who you are or... Um, or want to see magic and then you've got to kind of entertain them and make them kind of like it yep. and uh, and that's completely cold yeah completely cold it's one of the hardest things in all of performance especially so, since it's not a case of okay I've decided to go out and see a magic show this is like I'm correct. standing just minding my own business oh. and suddenly I'm in a magic show the easiest performing you'll ever do is you know 100, 200, 800 people come to see your magic show uh, that's they've easy. chosen it 100% yeah. easy uh, yeah, exactly, like they've chosen to, like it's already done. Yeah. Um, it is actually part of the reason why, say, a lot of magicians who, for example, are, are very good for any reason selling tickets, um, can actually get by being pretty not fantastic. Um, as long as you've got a good kind of production value, kind of half decent, you're fine. Mm. Um, whereas if you really kind of cut your teeth, if you can make people like Magic who not only did not want to see, but sometimes actively don't want to see it, but you as a magician kind of have to do these gigs yeah. because you're getting paid to. Yeah. And if you can carry them over the fence and they go from that point of like, oh God, let's you know bear through this trick for like 30 seconds or whatever he promised to like five minutes later going, holy crap, this is amazing. And they change their entire view for like your art form. Like, it must be a hell of a buzz when you actually do get that person over the line. Oh, it, it is by far and away the most rewarding thing in magic, I think, of, um, because it, it, it's magic is an art form is considered you know, quite low and fair enough because um, it's often just done really badly. And mm. it's because it kind of can be done badly because just the way magic works is that if all you do is just kind of do the trick competently, like not amazingly, but just competently, at, at the bare minimum your audience should be astonished. Mm. And that's actually just not how it works with any of the other art forms at all. Yeah. Um, so you can do a trick which is just not original, or whatever it is, but you know for a fact is good because lots of other magicians have kind of road tested it. And even if people didn't you know, like it or whatever, um, if they just don't know how it's done, in most people's minds, that's like, well, he's kind of good or she's good. Um, so in that way, magic can be kind of easy in that way and so it allows quite poor performers or un unlikable performers <laughs> or cheesy performers or quite dated performers yeah. to, to kind of get by as magic has so for many years you talked a bit about the, the difference between those two like the, the the up close and personal with a very small group or the big groups obviously yes. you, you you mentioned before your your um, your run to the grand final on, on Australia's Got Talent yeah. and some of the other big shows that you've done over time what it it must take a hell of a lot of focus because of what you guys are actually trying to pull off. Yes. Like as a collective, you've got three, not just one person, that you've got, you rely on the other two guys as That's well right. yeah. to be doing exactly what 
they're meant to be doing in any given moment and for mm. all the other elements that might be going on in the room, if everyone's seen some of the stuff you guys do, there's a lot of stuff going on sometimes. Is there a time, is there time or space within the performance to actually enjoy it or is the buzz come sort of afterwards when you go, geez, we pulled that off and they, they loved it? That's a good question. Um, most of the buzz comes afterwards, although I will say in the last few years, and it's this is funny, ever since we started getting unlucky, so to speak, <laughs> um, we got really good at just enjoying our stuff on stage and um, and little things like when we say lines to each other, you know, these days, we'll really look at each other in the eye when we say it or we'll say it with a bit of a wink and a nudge that only we can tell. And um, this is something that I've probably had the biggest turnaround on in the group because... I tend to be this hyper laser focused kind of get it done and do a really good job kind of guy. Whereas, um, especially in the last few years, I've really tried to make a point of consciously in the moment enjoying our time up there. Yeah. Um, because as you realise, like it's uh, there's so many kind of variables in performing and a performance career or just life in general. Like, mm. how many times in life you're going to get a chance to entertain you know whatever it is hundreds of people on stage with your friends? Yeah. Um, and have a good time. Not very many. So these days, I really savour it in a way that I had not for the first, I don't know, 10 years or 8 years or whatever, whenever I started. I want to switch gear over towards the, the mentalist side of, of what you do for a moment. We'll get back to the magic in a second. But it's not a world that I'm very clued up on. Um, so naturally, I'm immediately thinking of like Simon Baker helping the, yes. the cops solving crimes or yeah. um, or even like someone like Darren Brown, who Correct. people might... Alice's might be more of a, uh, a touchstone for them. So, you know, obviously he's a um, uh, performer, illusionist, mentalist, does all those amazing things. Sort of often very funny, using things like persuasion, suggestion, manipulation, often hypnotism. I think Correct. I've seen him do. Which one of those are you? Are you helping the cops solve crimes, or are you? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm using my powers for good, not right. for, for no, rather for entertainment. For entertainment, not good. Not good. Um, <laughs> I guess entertainment is a good. Probably good in a way. Yeah, so it's quite funny. So Simon Baker's show, The The Mentalist, is, I mean, for anyone who knows Darren Brown, as I do, I've read all this kind of public and magician stuff, is virtually based on Darren Brown. Um, Almost every little thing he does in the show, you can just trace back to something kind of Darren's done. So just to be clear for everyone's listening, um, uh, mentalism can be regarded as a branch of magic Mm -hmm. and it's quite confusing. What mentalism looks like is someone who has essentially supernatural powers. Supernatural powers of um, you know, kind of psychology and misdirection and suggestion, etc. And, and this is true to a certain extent, but if you saw the literal methods that mentalists use, you would probably say they are um, highly nuanced magic tricks. So I want to be very clear on the distinction. Ethically yeah. speaking, um, I think it's very important we... We clarify there's actually no kind of supernatural kind of stuff going on there. Yeah. Um, even though uh, mentalists will try and create that impression very much so. Even Darren Brown will often get into kind of murky ethical territory, which I think he'll admit. Um, but, but, the, but the point being that um, it's, it has a very specific aesthetic uh, doing mentalism kind of magic, you know, predicting what you're going to do and I'm going to influence you and etc. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so goddamn persuasive. Mm. And it's something about it in the... 2010s has caught on so much with people. It's so believable um, that the uh, the theatre of magic is just ten times stronger in when you're performing kind of mentalism based stuff. Uh, what are the skills that are involved for someone like you? I mean, did it is it something that you uh, work towards because of you know through magic alone, or is it did you does it help when you're actually seeing patients to be able to try? You know, are you able to? Is it are there skills that overlap? 
Look, I think the way that I think of how the interaction, I guess, between magic and mentalism and, and medicine, I suppose, is mm. it's not so much that I use any of the techniques in, uh, in a medical consultation, um, but put it this way, uh, practising general practice and being a medical doctor has really taught me the art of rapport and mm. know what it's like to get people's trust very quickly. Um, magic and mentalism has allowed me to understand how people think right. and how people form beliefs and how people can form false beliefs and how people can be persuaded or not be persuaded. So it's more so much that uh, more so that magic mentalism has given me an understanding of people rather than anything that I kind of directly, I suppose, apply. Yeah. Um, I think there are absolutely some subtle strategies of persuasion that, uh, you know... If you've one, got a patient who like who's not sticking with the with the program is, yeah. can, you, can you get them with, with their treatment perhaps is it or is it, is it yeah, look, look I mean you, in theory you know you could uh, I think it'd be pretty unethical um, I also think though that you know, again this is part of the art of mentalism we create this impression that we really can do these things in this amazing widely applicable way and most cases it's actually not true this is something that's only kind of occurring in, in the theatre of the mentalist. Right. Or, or the, uh, so I, I don't want to make it look like it's kind of real powers, but don't get me wrong. No, there no. are some, uh, some, some principles that, that could be used in real life, I suppose. But, um, uh, but, you know, I like to do my medicine pretty ethically, I'd like to say, or at least <laughs> I claim to be on a publicly accessible podcast, right? <laughs> how, do you, how do you balance all these things? I think we started to talk about it before. It, it sounds like it's a little bit of chaos. But, you know, now that you've, you know, You've gone through your intern, you, know, you, you study your internship. You're now a full-time practicing GP. How do you find the time to, to do things like tour overseas when you've had international shows that you've gone and done? Like what? How do you work There's, it out? Look, there really isn't any balance, and I think the best way I can really do that sentence justice is just describing the last few years. So, for mm. example, um, probably say last eight months or so um, I was doing working towards my show the Melbourne Magic Festival um, and so I was basically only working three days a week and working on my, my, my independent one hour show doing some other gigs on the side etc so I'd basically been part time for the last say eight months or so before that I was working essentially kind of four days a week and doing some writing on the side and that was maybe for a good six months before that I was went through a period of doing medical work for like no jokes five and a half six days a week yeah. with almost nothing else um, apart from that. And that was at least for a solid six months. Uh, and then before that, I was uh, not doing any medical work for three months. And, and do you kind of see what I mean? The, yeah. I just go through these kind of periods mm. where I'll be doing all uh, medical work or all magic stuff or a yeah, bit of yeah. both. And, and it just depends on what kind of comes up. Uh, so it sounds like you keep these worlds quite separate though. I do keep them quite separate. Um, and it, what that does is it makes going into each of the worlds quite refreshing a lot of the time yeah so it certainly keeps medicine incredibly enjoyable keeps the the, the charm of it kind of alive for me um I, I do remember the period when i was working like you know five six i think like six days a week at one point um some of those days i was getting you know, quite jaded i suppose and you know, you kind of i don't want to say dread going to work but you, you, know, you certainly don't enjoy the, the prospect yeah. of going to work very much um and yet the best thing that happened for, for, for my medicine was actually going part-time. actually makes going to work quite joyful. Like, yeah. you know, as a magician, you know, like medicine is incredibly interesting. Like, wow, you're like, you go in, you meet people you've never met before, you 
do this detective work, try to work out what's wrong, help them. People are like genuinely grateful back. It's like, you know, like for, for a roving walk around magician going up to people in restaurants, which is what I did, you know, years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, forcing people to watch magic tricks who didn't really want to watch them. Like that, that's, you know, general practice is like an amazing career, amazing job. Um, by the same token, um, you know, going through the, the worst aspects of internship or of residency, you know, how much of a, like how dreary that can be at times. Um, you know, I really kind of fantasised about some of all the times that I had on stage and how amazing and, you know, and amazing and incredible those experiences really are of, being in front of a couple of hundred people and you know, be able to kind of capture their attention. So it's nice to do both things because it reminds you of how special the other thing is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about your colleagues? I mean, your, your medical yeah, general, colleagues. Oh, the medical, the medical colleagues. colleagues okay. who, who who become aware of, of what you're doing. Obviously, you know, things like Australia's Got Talent really sort of put you up um, to a much larger audience. Just, do you find, you know, what's their reaction like? Do, they, do you find that people find, perceive you differently, rightly or wrongly or yeah, fairly? Look, do they struggle to take you seriously at times? I, I have to say that I, that was a huge insecurity that I had too yeah. during internship and residency of basically not letting people know what I was doing in my spare time mm. um, because I was worried that they would see it as me not being interested in medicine and not taking it seriously. And that's a huge factor when you're thinking of applying into specialty training. Um, you know, if you're applying for the dermatology program and someone finds out you do this other thing seriously, well, how serious are you about dermatology, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing? I, I, it's I, very competitive. I'll pick somebody else that cares. Yeah. Exactly. I'll yeah. pick someone else who kind of cares. So I was quite reticent about that, um, about sharing that. But over the years, and I learned this too slowly, and, and I hope other people can kind of learn from this. Um, I'd say for you know, every one person who took it the wrong way, um, along the way I learned there are pr- at least five other people who take it the opposite way and go that's excited really cool about amazing it. Yeah. they're excited yeah and they don't see it as this kind of dichotomy either and so a lot of the time my own hesitation about letting the two worlds collide or letting people know what I'm doing um, was actually kind of my own insecurity it's actually just not true and, and I wonder how things would have been if I let the two kind of mix organically mm. uh, in the past as well. I think um, I think certainly about magic. I for a long time, and this is probably quite legitimate. I did not want to let people in the magic world know too much that I was a doctor because again, I wanted to be taken seriously for that because I knew how much people knowing I'm a doctor kind of worked in my favour. Because again, you're a bit of a standout in terms of like that's a bit novel. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, so you're going to get noticed and. And uh, it probably says a lot about my weird, deeper motivations for kind of doing magic, I guess, in the first place, was I just want to be taken seriously on the basis of just doing solid magic, being a good performer. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, once that was happening, you know, I, probably something I still <laughs> try to do um, uh, now, but, uh, but now that I've got kind of legitimacy in that domain, well, now I'm kind of happy to let them mix. And I now I kind of look back and go, geez, why did I try to hide those things? It was, it's a ridiculous thing to do. We talked <clears throat> a little bit earlier. I wanted to talk about your create the creative side of it. Um, we started talking about it a little bit, but and I'm not asking you to give away your, your secrets. How how no, the challenges go? That must be. I'm, I'm sure that's the question that everyone wants to ask you every time. But <laughs> um, there's obviously so much creativity and planning involved in the performances to pull off the kinds of uh, illusions and things that that you have that, that that you guys are doing on stage. What's that process like? Is it, you know, like uh, you, you mentioned before that you, you, sounds like you're very different personalities. How does it, does someone come in with an idea and say, 
and so you sort of dictate to the rest of the group or is it mm. something that you sort of almost like a, a, a band sort of jamming with an idea of how are we going to apply this new technique or this new illusion that we've, we've seen and liked yeah. and we're going to put our own spin on it? I think, yeah, it, it works very differently in a group scenario versus, I guess, me individually. So I suppose when we're talking as a, as a trio, um, generally speaking, we'll have, say, an opportunity comes up, some TV spot is happening or there's a deadline for a show and we want to come up with something new. Um, essentially we'll just kind of spitball people just kind of throw out ideas and and again no no, no nothing is a bad idea in that first kind of rehearsal yep, and, yep. Uh, and uh, we have these really funny phrases um, where we know we're going to come up with an idea that, that sounds bad but we think there's something good so we'll often so Luke and Alex and I will often say guys I've got an idea okay not this but this. But a version yeah. of this, yeah, where but it's a cool. Of this. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so not this, but this is our kind of go-to phrase, and everyone else is because it goes, okay, well, let's let's kind of hear it. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's tough. Sometimes we'll just hit upon gold, and we're like, oh my god, this is gonna work. A lot of the time, most of the time, it doesn't work like that at all. We just end up with terrible ideas, and <laughs> somewhere close to the deadline, someone will come up with something absolutely golden, and we kind of go with it. Um, although I have to say. I think our creativity has stifled so much ever since we actually developed this catalogue of amazing ideas because basically we've, we've been able to a little bit rest on our laurels a little bit. We've got a pretty good catalogue of fairly original, really impressive kind of magic. Yeah. And I think that's made us a little bit complacent when coming up with new material. So to be very honest, we, I think we've struggled a bit in the last year and a bit mm. to come up with new good routines. Um, so I actually stepped back from the group a little bit and I just wanted to do my own kind of solo stuff. Cause is this where the mentalism is sort of yeah, taken so off? Exactly, yeah, so, exactly. So my kind of solo stuff is far more kind of mentalism uh, focused. And so Luke and Alex had no idea of all the, um, the material that I'd be coming up with with my solo show. Yeah. And I kind of deliberately didn't want to show them. And they came and saw my show and kind of, I don't want to say I was shocked, but I guess gently surprised, a lot of things in the show completely fooled them. Um, which is not really common amongst magicians. It's, it's not that common to be able to fool each other, yeah. uh, I suppose. Especially two magicians you've worked with so closely. Yeah. Um, and it was because I, again, my solo career was, I didn't have um, this kind of catalogue of stuff that I could sit back on and go, I'm super proud of, I don't need to come up with new stuff. Yeah. I was desperate to come up with stuff. And so there's much to be said for that desperation, desperation yeah. and that being a driver for creativity. Well, it's, it's like with any art form is, is that the, the, it comes from, from the, the pressure or the, the, the struggle. 100%. If it's too easy, then the art starts to suffer, I guess. Yeah, and, that's, and I, that's the theory sometimes. Yeah, and I, and I, I don't understand how people, uh, a lot of artists, you know, uh, can just kind of schedule time and get things done in terms of, I'll just steadily work you know, two hours a day towards this and blah, blah, blah. And it'll be, and by the halfway point, 50% will be done. And by, you know, three days out, it'll be, I'll just be doing you know, my rehearsals. And it's just like, this is just not what it's been for me. Yeah. It's not what it's been for Gentleman of Deceit. It's very much so some things, you know, we always say if something's three months away, it's basically infinity time away. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just like, it doesn't even matter. It might as well be 10 years away. And three months out, you'll start having a conversation. And six weeks out, you'll go, ooh. We should probably do something. We should probably do something, but we've still got time. And then, and then, and then we'll be talking on the phone about something. We'll go, guys, you realise we're like 23 days out, right? And we'll just go, crap. And then the, f the flurry of work that happens within that two weeks out yep. is, I mean, it's something, something Newtonian, Einsteinian happens. Yeah, like time yeah. dilates then. Yeah. And the amount you can kind of get that done within that 
last two weeks, you know, crying the entire time. It's, it's just <laughs> incredible. But but that's the thing. I think um, I think a lo- I'm not saying this is true for everything. Yeah. But for a lot of creative processes, uh, um, of getting kind of things done, it's it's such a labor of love. It's such an emotional thing, and um, how you feel really kind of drives those moments of inspiration. Um, so actually, one of the things I've I've learned, and again, it's one of those lessons I've learned. I don't want to say I've learned too late, which is that when you do get inspiration. Don't waste it. Yeah. It's a very precious commodity. That moment when you're just like hyper and you're in the zone and you get an idea, um, that's going to run out soon. So just use it. Just absolutely use that energy and write it down and whatever. And, um, you know, it's uh, it, it, it kind of comes and goes in waves and you can't control when you are in the zone. So when you are in the zone, just kind of go for it. Um, and... I know it sounds like I'm, I'm giving advice to people who listen to the podcast. I think what I'm really doing is giving advice to myself here, <laughs> which I think we can we can all take sometimes. <laughs> sounds like pretty good advice to me. Well, it's probably not a bad place to leave it. Are you Before we do wrap up, though, is there some way people can see you? You've got shows coming up. Anything to plug? Uh, no, no, no shows to plug. I've just finished my shows at the Melbourne Magic Festival, actually. Um, well, you know what people can do? So one of the projects I'm working on is a, is a web series. That I'm uh, that's being directed by a good friend of mine um, and well-known comedian Lawrence Lung. Of course, yeah. So Lawrence is um, uh, yeah, uh, people don't actually know this um, is actually one of the world's most uh, talented mentalists. He's what we regard as an underground mentalist, and th- yeah, it's there's he, a whole underground mentalist scene. Right? It's yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> he's um, the the man is a freak show. Actually, his his mind is actually amazing. So we've been actually doing magic mentalism for, together for a while. Oh wow. Yeah, and so um, we've filmed uh, we've filmed a couple of uh, episodes. We've only released one. So it's on my Facebook. If you want to check it out, facebook.com slash drvyom. That'll be D-R-V-Y-O-M. And you'll see, like, the first episode there. The second one's going to come out probably a couple of weeks' time. The third one a few weeks after that. And it's all, uh, yeah, Labour of Love by Lawrence and I. And I think it's a really good example of... Um, us just kind of creating art with no actual plan in mind. <laughs> uh, we don't really know what we're going to do with it. Um, Which is probably uh, like when we were talking about before about art out of pressure, this is a, you know, a completely thing again. Like when you've just got time and someone funded to, to work with, it must be really quite... Anything can happen. It Exactly, anything can happen. And, um, and I think that's the other kind of phase <coughs> that I've switched into, which is, um, you know, I think I've been very lucky initially um, in my career in terms of the, the breaks, I suppose we can say, I had. Um, but sometimes with the kind of deadlines run out and the opportunities kind of dry up, it's like, well, do you stop doing what you're doing? Um, well, maybe if that's if why you wanted to do it was achievement and recognition, then I suppose you'd stop. But yeah. But if you really love it, then you can just do it because you like it and, and nothing else, and not look for any tangible things on the other end of it, which is um which is also something I do much more now than I used to in my kind of early twenties. Uh, because back then it was just do this thing, get a reward, do this thing, get validation. And now uh, I'm more and more I'm finding I'm doing magic and writing or whatever. For the sake of itself. For the sake of itself. Because I like doing it uh, and I like creating good art and sometimes that means it's no one's going to see it or mm-hmm. someone might not even like it. But you know, if you but can't you, do it, you, if you do it for yourself and yeah. you, you stay true to it, uh, I think there's a lot of value in that. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Viom. Thank you. There were some really brilliant questions. I'm, I'm glad you asked them. <laughs> that was Dr. Viom Sharma. 
I really enjoyed that interview. Um, I can't wait to see what's up next for him. That web series that he mentioned at the end, you should definitely check out. I've seen the first episode of that one and I'm still pretty mind blown. So I can't wait to see what else he's got in store in that series. As I said at the top, he was very busy over the course of the CCIM 2019 conference weekend up on the Gold Coast. So another huge thanks to Vion for making the time to sit down with me for the pod. Before I go, just another quick thanks to the Royal Australasian College of Medical Administrators for supporting this episode of the CCIM podcast. The Royal Australasian College of Medical Administrators, or RACMA, is an accredited specialist medical college comprising medical practitioners with specialist training in management and leadership of health services and systems. To find out how you can go from doctor to medical leader and how RACMA might be able to help you do that, head over to racma.edu.au. That's racma.edu.au thank you once again for listening if you like this and any of our previous episodes we'd love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues and maybe give us a nice review on itunes it all helps us get the word out this has been an embrace creative production for creative careers in medicine we still have a few more interviews from the gold coast that will be coming to you in the coming weeks so stay tuned